all right. Hello and welcome to a wee taster for the new series of the Peggy Mount Calamity Hour. I'm Dr Velvet. And I'm Blackout. And we're back to talk about the telly. Yes, hello you. Thanks for joining us for our casual cultural critique of vintage television where Britain's best-loved battle axe is never far from our wines because here all roads still, still, lead to the mountain. Indeed they do. After an exhausting year, we recharged the batteries enough to get the tape recorder running again and realised we still had work to do, providing unnecessarily profane analysis of yesteryear's small screen shenanigans. So in our new series, we'll be putting a temporary Tupperware lid on the flares and flowery fashions and breaking out the fleck trousers, the matte leather pods and a delicious lemon polo shirt to stride cocksure through the decade which formed us. Yes, week by week we'll be exploring the overlit studio sets of the 1980s. There'll be TV shows that you used to love. Shows that you used to loathe. And shows which used to be on in the living room, even though you couldn't work out who exactly went out of their way to watch them. It turns out it was us in the future. As usual, the cogs of this machine will be kept clean with liberal doses of alcohol... Unlike the language, which will be frequently filthy, but for the same reason. So, as we pull out a monogrammed St Michael handkerchief and wave off the 70s, it'll sound a little something like this. Nobody's House was produced in 1976 by Tiny Television for ITV. It was written by Martin Hall and Derek Sherwin. This ran for a total of seven episodes. This episode, Nobody's Perfect, was originally broadcast on Monday the 4th of October 1976 at a quarter to five in the afternoon, right after Clapperboard. I have absolutely no memory of Nobody's House, even though it first aired in 76. Fair mm-hmm. enough, I'll have been three years old. But it was repeated in 79... If it was on television, right. I should have seen this, and I don't remember this. No, I can't. I have no recollection of this whatsoever. I was first made aware of this uh, via some requests that we've had to to watch it. All right. I love that the one we've watched is only the second episode. They're already mm. bringing in other ghosts. <laughs> they're already just like, this kid can't lead this. We need somebody else in. And, <laughs> and they brought in Brian Blessed in full Dickensian mode. What a pair of trousers. <laughs> Come I think on. what I love most is that Nobody's House originally started in October 1976, ten months after Rent-A-Ghost. I mean, why bother? There are there are certain parts of this where they're speaking way too quietly and they're just talking like that. Just a, speak uh-huh. up, uh-huh. speak up. Uh-huh. <laughs> Good God! And you mentioned the cavernous set. Here, yes, that ha- that house looks like shit, Almighty. <laughs> They want to get the wallpaper and done. They want to get the wallpaper and done. And not only that, it's a house of cruelty to animals because that scene where they're leaving the house to take the dog out, somebody kicks the dog because it yelps. <laughs> somebody kicks the dog. Again, I did think the dog was probably the most realistic performance in the entire production. When I was first watching this, I was... You know that thing where like Ian Nobody tugs on his scarf so he can teleport between rooms? Uh-huh. He's got like his sort of Victorian urchin's neck scarf and he kind of pulls out it yes. twice and then disappears mm-hmm. and then he reappears in another room, sort of talking about it. I thought at first that this was a tick which tells the audience that he originally died by hanging and that that's his link to the incorporeal realm. <laughs> but you then, dark, but, dark <laughs> but no, bastard. No. Halfway through this particular episode, 
Um, Tom, the 13-stroke 53-year-old child... <laughs> yes, uh, he, he manages to be older than his own dad, yes. It's a weird one, because that first episode's done a lot of setting up. Yeah. Because you've got that much going on, it's kind of... It, I'm sort of following it, I'm not loving it, but I'm following it, that's fine. This second episode, it's kind of boring though, isn't it? Young Tom, yeah, he needs to write this bit for school on the past. Mm. And Ian Nobody goes, and I, well, obviously I lived and died in the past, but I know who can help you out more with that. My friend Jack Ghost, who's an absolute arsehole in both life and death. That'll end well. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'm scared of him, and he's about to nick something from your house, so I'll <laughs> yes. bring him in. Yes, Brian Blessed turns up playing an absolute arsehole. Then they catch him out for being an arsehole. And then the episode ends with the family eating a boiled egg. And this somehow pans out for 30 minutes. <laughs> like I said, he is full Dickensian, blessed. He's not Shakespearean, blessed. He's, no, no. He's doing the very, the very small, minute gestures. I want Brian Blessed to be like this! And he wasn't doing that. A small point about spin-off merch. There was a yeah. tie-in book written by Martin Hall. It was released in 1976, at the same sort of okay. time as the uh, TV show was out. The uh-huh. original price, printed on the back of the book, is 40 pence. Now, converting 1976 money, that's around about £2.94 now. Right. If you look on eBay, this book is on sale for between 10 and £13. That's a tidy investment if you bought one of them at the time. It's not bad, like, is it? Yeah, it's, it's not bad. Right. I've no idea what the book's I- like. I haven't got it, but, you know, it's, mm. it's there. No, no. I've got um, the Nobody's House top trumps, right? Um, but I've I've never I've never looked them up. Maybe I should. Maybe is that I the one I where the... is that the one where the Brian Blessed card has just got nines across the board, right across the board? Uh-huh. What? You can't win against Did... that card. You cannot at all. Um, I haven't taken them out of the box for a long, long time, but I need to do that, don't I? Right, I'll do. Yes, that. I'll do that. Right, mint. I, I will. I'll look up on eBay to see if there's any anything kicking around I remember getting it for Christmas this Top Trump set I didn't watch the programme I didn't know what it was but it's been in the box it's been in the box for years I would just Never, want, it, I I would just want it on the front saying nobody's cards and as we cruise into the years of shoulder pads and wet look hair gel we hope it'll sound like this Kit Curran radio show was written by Andy Hamilton, who had also done Not the Nine O'Clock News. Uh, you remember Shelley, the sitcom Shelley? I do. Uh, and Drop the Dead Donkey, quite a lot of, sort of topical type stuff, started cropping up on Have I Got News for You in the late 90s, mm-hmm. early 2000s. So, you know, he's been a writer for quite some time. Uh, this first episode, End of an Era, and I do like that they've called the first episode that, that appeals to me. Uh, this aired on. ITV, made by Thames Television, on Monday the 2nd of April 1984. I was well up for this because Wedge Antilles was in it. Mm-hmm. That's it. Dennis right. Lawson was Wedge in Star Wars. I was going to watch the sitcom that Wedge was in. And the set the setup was promising to me at Luda's in. I remember when it first started, I thought, I'm going to watch this because I loved all things radio. Go yeah. figure. I mean, I can get to this a little bit later, but this is clearly a warm-up for Drop the Dead Donkey because there are elements of satire being thrust into this. Now, did you dislike the satire that was in this? Bearing in mind it's a sitcom, it's not Drop the Dead Donkey, where they do a, just like an explainer at the start of each episode to remind you what's been going on in the news. It's very broad, but you're mm-hmm. not required to know what has been in the newspapers the week this has been aired. Did you dislike the fact that the satire was so overt? Because I kind of liked it. 
it's very cartoonish. Yeah, it's very. I think it works well in its execution. I thought, to me, it's satire for six formers. Yes. That's the way I saw oh, it. Oh, God, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, and I thought, okay. And you know what? It needed that because, let me tell you this, there's nothing else in this episode. In that whole 20 minutes, there's nothing else. <laughs> really? I watch this now, and I remember myself, I took uh, Kit Curran's sort of suave, cool demeanour entirely at face value back in the day because I was too young to see the self-effacing irony that's sort of sure. threaded throughout it. And I'm watching mm-hmm. it now and I'm like, yeah, I can see why I thought that was cool without seeing... It's telling you why it's not cool. But yeah. I, I would have just skipped straight over that. Well, in which case, if they're going to spend nine minutes in a studio set, they need to get it right. Because I'll tell you now, in that studio, they've spent hundreds on the mixing desks at this ra- at this radio station. Yeah. But the mics looks like they were three for a tenner at Tandy. Uh-huh. And there's no and there's not a pop shield, no uh-huh. one. Uh-huh. And and not only that, I don't know whether the the mic feed is going actually into the gallery because <laughs> they're 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 actually popping during the episode. Get on me nerves. Get on me nerves. Attention love, to detail. I love that you've watched a nineteen eighty four sitcom that was never intended to be seen by anyone and judged it like, well, they haven't made this for people in the industry. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fact. A situation comedy with very little situation and very weak comedy. There you go. That's the Kit Current radio show. But what what rescued it? What rescued this? The, the slapstick at the buffet. Yes. It was simplistic, but it was a, it was a welcome relief from the banality that we okay. had 18 minutes prior to me. <laughs> I thought, right, it's a cop-out. And it's a bit sensationalism, but you know what? Thank the Lord, something's happened. Special note for the uh, theme tune, uh, which is Ultra Fantastico, with a tune by David Mackay, lyrics by Ian Lafrene, uh, sung by Dennis Lawson. It's very pleased with itself, isn't it? Yes. A note on spin-off merch, Ultra Fantastico, was released as a single off the back of uh, this series. At the time of recording, there are five of these listed on eBay. Now... Prices for this seven-inch single list from two pounds ninety-five to four pound right. forty-nine with free postage. I'm on it. Now you have to bear in mind mm. the singles cost around about one pound fifty in nineteen eighty-four, mm-hmm. and according to the Bank of England inflation calculator, that equates to four pound ninety-three these days. This is a piece of tie-in memorabilia which is decreased in retail value even when inflation is <laughs> taken into account. Well done, all round. Right? There you go. I am still going to buy one. Even though we were never that cool. And so it'll probably sound more like this. House was devised by Terry Mardell, who also worked on Big Break, and David Moore. This is loosely based on bingo, the classic British pastime which famously involves no quiz questions. So obviously this TV version also involves no numbers being pulled out of a box. This has nothing to do with bingo. <laughs> I'm sorry, but this is Saturday night. From the right off, now. from the off, though, that theme tune, it oh. might, it might as well be. This is Bob's Full House. This is Bob's Full House. This is Bob's Full House. Because this show so desperately wants to be Family Fortunes. Right. (laughs) Have I gone gone in too early? (laughs) 
tell you what you get with this that you don't get with a lot of game shows. You get tension. You get bubble. There is real. There is real tension here. Real tension. Uh huh. I'm on the edge of my seat. <laughs> And I, and I literally, with every episode I watch it, because I do watch repeats of this on the on the social medias. Right. There's tension. Now, apart from anything else, where else are you going to hear this? In bingo lingo, clickety clicks, it's time to take your pick of the six. Where else are you going to hear that? This is my Saturday night, mate. I'm in seventh heaven here. Uh-huh. A Tom Baker episode of Doctor Who, which it wasn't because he'd gone by then, I don't care. And this, there's my Saturday night. Follow that up with Larry Grayson's Generation Game. Oh, my God. To look perhaps too deeply into my own psyche, maybe I just always thought that the BBC was better than Bingo. No, God, are they joking? That is more about, joking? No, that, that is more about me than it does about this show or about the BBC, I promise you. But I'm like, right. eh, Bingo's a kind of a seaside, shouty arcade. The Bingo's going on while I'm trying to play Gauntlet. You know. <laughs> Tension. Uh, tension. There is tension. Mind that set. That set. Is it? Yes. It's yes. Go on. Gloriously eighties in so many oh, ways. But it beautiful. looks. It looks like it's been designed by three people, none of whom have ever met. That that revolving bit where it like it turns around and goes down, and the prizes behind it. That is glorious. It fits with none of the rest of the aesthetic. <laughs> correct, correct. Uh-huh. Absolutely. You've got, the, you've got the 1980s diagonal stripes going down, and you've got the yep. big computer with the yellow letters, which is off a of family fortune. It's yep. Yeah, it's all great, and everything's pulling in different directions, and it's like, can you just calm down? <laughs> but, you know, could they calm down? I think the competition was up. The stakes had up. I think they were fighting against Cannonball here. So, you know. <laughs> okay, yeah I'll, get, yeah, I'll give you that. Yeah. This was, so um, got a, what, 1984 when this started? 1984. I can right. see Billy Cotton saying, just throw everything at it. Just throw it. Put it in. Yeah. Put yeah. it in. Yep. Yeah. We've got Monkhouse. That'll get them in. After that, just overload the screen with everything. And by the way, <laughs> that brings me to a point, which I'm sure you've got written down in your notes. Go on. Who on this planet thinks that Orville is a fucking emu? Well, clearly, the guy who got through to the final round did... Because that was his answer. What kind of bird is Orville? An emu. Go home. You know what? I watched this episode twice and I missed that. I've written down everything else apart from that. Go home. I'll tell you, I'll tell you why I missed it. Because it's so fast-paced. This is what I love about it. It is so boom, boom, boom. There is no downtime in this. At all. And Munchhouse is an absolute master at holding this together. He is. Oh. He keeps this running at this headlong pace 30 solid minutes but I'll tell you what as well there's a one-liner after almost every sentence and it's like bring it down bring it down a notch Bob you're not the only one on the stage now don't get me wrong I said before I love Monkhouse he's up there with Forsyth he's you know he's in in the god tier of entertainers and in the first five minutes I, I Part of me noticed that a lot of Bob's mannerisms here are just like Gene Kelly's in the first act of Singing in the Rain. I don't know why I've picked this up, and it only do, makes me love you know both what? of them more. There's something... Do, do you, know, you what I... know what? I've never made that connection before, but you are absolutely <laughs> nailed on with that. You are nailed on it's with a, that. It's a beautiful thing to watch, that he's sort of just carrying on this like effortless showbiz tradition. It's, yeah. Yeah. 
absolutely yeah. bulletproof. But yeah, it's like, maybe bring it down, Bob. It, you know, it's Saturday night, mate. We're trying to have a good time here. <laughs> You're not working the hard crowd now. Come on, mate. They're here to see you. Can I just point out, uh, Tim? Uh huh. That that I've, outfit. I've got notes about is, Tim. Is straight off the peg at Burton's mind. Whoa! You you couldn't get any more eighties if you tried. I've got notes about and his wh- outfit. Yes. And what we don't see. Go to peggymanpod.com, ver- Click on the link. Watch Tim on the on the uh, Robert's w- Full House. <laughs> Tim's pencil thin blue leather tie made me uneasy. Yep. His white. <laughs> His white loafers made me sick in my own mouth. Bless him. He's very enthusiastic, Tim, isn't he? Oh, very. He's uh, Tim's from St. Helens. He says he works for the British Council. What's the British yeah. Council? What? Mm. Do you mean you work for a council in Britain? What? What is the British Council? He goes, I send people abroad. What, you deport people, Tim? What? <laughs> Do you think he means the British Consul? He says council. Yeah. In terms of spin-off merch, mm. I had the Bob's Full House... Game for the Amstrad CPC 464. Oh, no, I want... I did. Because oh. I wanted that. Can you imagine? This came out a few years later. Can you imagine being Bob Monkhouse in 1988 and your agent phones you up to tell you that you're now available as a computer game alongside Space Harrier and Jet Set Willy? That'd be mint. Do you know what I mean? That'd be yeah. fucking mint. We've got the wet and dry vacuum cleaner. Yes. We've got a tea's made, only they call it an automatic tea and coffee maker. I don't know well, if tea's tea made is... is a brand, isn't it? Oh, is it? Right, I didn't know that. A hairdryer and a set of heated rollers. What? Anyway, Tim wins that round and he chooses the vacuum cleaner, which, you know, he, he's sitting there and he's looking at the three and he's like, I've got to pick one. <laughs> but that's the first, that's your first round. When you get to your second round, where you've got like light the middle line of your mm. numbers, the prices are... A pair of his and hers briefcases. How is this in the second round? (laughs) Mind you, on a similar note, Tim, and again, Tim is absolutely on fire in this episode. Tim wins a mystery prize of, and I quote, two tickets to a West End film premiere. Now, obviously, at the time of recording, they don't know what the premiere is going to be. It's just going to be anything they give them the tickets for. But Tim lives in Lancashire, so let's hope there's some sort of transport or accommodation involved. (laughs) Yes, let's hope so. You're getting the bus down, Tim. We're getting you the tickets to get you in. What are we seeing? Cannon the ball, boys in blue. <laughs> I'd be all for that, actually. Uh, yeah. Well, if I was a member of the general public, I'd be firing up the acorn electron and logging on to http colon forward slash forward slash www.peggymountpod.com to find out more. That all sounds absolutely hellish. Doesn't it? So to get the new series as soon as it drops, subscribe now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Mixcloud, Stitcher. In fact, wherever you get your podcasts. Or just wherever they got this one. What? Well, the people are already listening to this podcast. I think they know where to get it, that's all. Ah, but no. Assume nothing. These words might be belting out of a boombox at a suburban bus stop to the delight of a group of youths but also reaching the intrigued locals of inquisitive passers-by. The links are for those folk. Is that likely? Well, don't forget, the producer Ken always leaves the latest episode playing on loop out the window of his bedsit while he goes to work. Anyone walking through that alley is bound to want more. They certainly wouldn't fancy coming back just for the next instalment. Yeah, that's true. So, stay tuned. The Peggy Bounce Calamity Hour returns very soon. Oh, also we're on Twitter and Facebook at Peggy Mount Pod. You couldn't have worked that into the script earlier. 
Nope. Right. So yeah, Tim rips through this, wins the round, gets his full house, <clears throat> and leaves with her sewing machine. She's away. Yep. Nick leaves. He gets a hamper, which we don't see, uh, because, nope. again, Bob's just made this up on the spot. He's just like, well, he's out. He's he's, he's not the worst one, but he's one now, so we've got to give him something. And uh, Marilyn gets sent home with her walk because she's only got eight <laughs> questions right out of 15 in the entire show. On the yep. plus side, when she's walking back along the motorway, she won't get knocked down wearing that jumper, will she? <laughs> No, she won't. Can I can I point out? I have done some research on this, and the hamper uh, was actually a bucket of shit in a cup. 